Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Clee Talk, presented by friend- FriendlyRoadSports.com. We're also friendly. Uh, my name is Bob. I am your host, as always. I'm hanging out talking Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's up, man? Crazy weekend in the world of sports. Had a lot of high school football, covered two games, and uh, college football was crazy. Pro football yeah. was crazy. It was just a crazy football weekend, man. There were a lot of good NFL games on. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of football to distract you from whatever uh, else you're worried about in the world. Cleveland Indians was in the World Series. Still bothers me a little bit. Um, so it was nice to, to watch some football for, for sure. Um, unfortunately, uh, well, I guess fortunately, um, most of the good football that we watched <laughs> – uh, we were rewarded with with some really good football over the weekend, and uh, that's due in part because the Cleveland Browns played on Thursday, and uh, Chris, that game was near unbearable to watch. Uh, Twelve men on the field for the very first uh, play of the game, uh, the Josh McCowan decision, all that. I got got you and I thinking and, and talking over the weekend when we when we had the chance to to get together for a little bit. Now, are the Browns the worst team in all professional sports right now? Um, and that kind of sparked a little debate as we were talking and, you know, we were thinking, well, let's throw this idea out on the podcast and, and have some discussion around it. Um, let's not just think about in the moment, in the heat of the moment, let's think about historically bad teams in baseball, football, and basketball, uh, teams that just have been inept for a really long time and debate who who we think is the worst so you know considering the historically bad i know that uh a lot of people would would immediately turn their heads to a team like the philadelphia 76ers but that team back in the 60s did have guys like will chamberlain uh julius irving after that they won some championships so um we're talking about teams from start to finish have just been in the dumps have been very disappointing so chris uh Let's roll out our, our nominees in each category. Uh, would you do the honors? I shall. So we're, we're trying to determine if the Browns are the worst team in all of sports. And so clearly they're our NFL nominee. Now that's a competitive category, but because you've got you know some other franchises like Detroit and Buffalo that come to mind that have been marred in mediocrity. But, but Cleveland's our nominee for football. Basketball was a very competitive debate between us, Bob, and and I think that that we settled in on a pretty good one. It, it's got to be the Los Angeles Clippers right there. You, you just go back to their existence. They haven't even advanced out of the second round of the playoffs, let alone smell the championship. Yeah. So, I, I mean, if you're talking historically bad, and it's easy to overlook them because of late they've had a lot of superstar power, but... They still haven't been past the second round of the playoffs, and it always seems to implode on them. So they're, I believe, the perfect nominee for the NBA. I think baseball was the toughest one to find because Kansas City and Pittsburgh, some of these historically bad teams, have gotten on hot runs of late. But the San Diego Padres, when you look closely They've been to a couple World Series, but but for the most part have just been a doormat. Haven't been to the playoffs in about 10 years. I think they are the nominee for the baseball side. So those are our three finalists, Bob. The Browns of football, 
Clippers in the NBA and the Padres in baseball. And now we just got to figure out which one of these is the worst of the worst. All right, so I'm going to propose uh, right off the bat. Let's let's you know do a little process of elimination. I am going to give the San Diego Padres uh, a, a pass, and I'm going to excuse them from not a pass, but I think the Clippers and the Browns are clearly more inept than than what the Padres have been through. I know their their playoff appearances have been few and far between, but they have reached uh, a World Series twice uh, in the last 32 years uh, 1984 and 1998 they've, they've gone to the the world series and in baseball i mean just the the salary disparity that has existed over the last 16 years the san diego padres have never uh, had a payroll that exceeded the mlb average i think that just the uh, difference between the highest payroll and the lowest payroll uh, really disadvantages some teams and the padres have always not been a big spending team uh, they just don't they don't have the pizzazz that these other two teams have in terms of ineptitude uh, Chris w- would you accept that sort of um, the one thing though that is truly an inept thing would be the whole Bruce Bochy situation letting him get away and go to San Francisco and then win three championships there is certainly the marking of a team that's kind of Man, remember Bochi managed them in '98 when they went to the World Series. So, so they knew that he was a a good manager, uh, and he was their manager in their last um, playoff appearance uh, when they won the NL West and lost in the first round to the Cardinals three to one. So, so I guess I would kind of agree from the standpoint that you're right. The economics of baseball are a little bit different. So it's easier to forgive some a team that's just super inept. But Bob, I mean, only five playoff appearances for this team in their history. I mean, that's pretty bad. I, I'm just saying, that's pretty bad. Oh, yeah, I... Uh... I have no. They they're nominated for a reason. I mean, <laughs> there's still plenty of other uh, candidates that haven't had a renaissance in the MLB that that we could have picked, but we ended up landing on the Padres. So I'm not saying that they uh, are good or, or deserve an excuse. I just think that uh, when I look at the these other two teams that that they're going up against, I, I would put them at, at third in, in the worst category. Uh, the sins of Bruce Boche, uh, uh, I definitely understand that as well, but. Um, looking at these other two teams, you know the LA Clippers playing in the Staples Center for for their entirety of the career uh, since being the Los Angeles Clippers in 1984. Uh, the Los Angeles Lakers, their their rival in the same city, have won ten tam- championships since 1980. Uh, Chris, you just mentioned uh, this is a basketball team that has never advanced past the second round since the second round has existed. Um, we, we forget just how bad the Clippers were and how synonymous they were with futility uh, before they traded for Chris Paul uh, a few years ago. Yeah, and before we switch gears here, let's just say this. Measuring the playoff appearances of the Clippers to the other two teams is not fair because qualifying for the playoffs in the NBA is a joke compared to football and baseball. Let's not forget before the wild card in 95, 
really the two division winners met in the championship series. Only two teams from each league made it to the playoffs. So, you know, pre-95, the Padres only had one playoff appearance, but it was also really, really hard to qualify for the playoffs. Now, you look at their all-time finishing, they still never, they only finished second place one time pre-95. So it's not like they were that good. Um, I also agree in the sense that since the Padres have been to two World Series in this in their history, that kind of gives them a little bit of a distance between the other two because the Browns and the Clippers have never been to a final. The Browns in the Super Bowl era, obviously, we'll, we'll obviously have to talk about the Browns pre-Super Bowl era in a minute. But but now, kind of addressing the Clippers, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, this team is just the definition of mediocre. I mean, you just go down the list here, man. Since they became the Los Angeles Clippers, even with more than half the teams in the NBA making the playoffs, they have only been to the playoffs nine times. Nine playoff appearances, Bob. Yes, they're on a run of five straight playoff appearances. So pre-Chris Paul, Blake Griffin era, that's... Four playoff appearances. Four. The highest seed they were ever was sixth in 2006. Twice as a seventh seed, once as an eighth seed. That is unbelievably bad. Yeah, it, 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 uh, again, I, the star power of Blake Griffin and Chris Paul uh, in the past few years have just kind of erased the memories of, of just how how bad this team was and it doesn't help that they literally shared a basketball court with the most successful basketball team in that time period at the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, so it, it just only made that uh, disparity even larger. Uh, the Clippers and the Padres, you know, have uh, more or less existed along the same time frame. You know, Padres were founded in 1969 the Clippers, uh, when they're the Buffalo Braves, were founded in 1970. Uh, the Clippers, in that time, made the playoffs 10 times. The Padres made it seven times. And, and like you said, it's a lot harder to make the playoffs in, the, in baseball. So, Chris, again, this is a, a very, very bad team. Uh, tried to build it up with, with Elton Brand as their centerpiece. Uh, in the early 2000s, that didn't work. Uh, drafted Blake Griffin. Uh, number one overall he had to sit out his entire first year it turned out to be an okay move but Chris this is also a team that traded away the first round pick that uh, turned into Kyrie Irving Uh, I understand that Chris Paul is on the team and all that but you passed up one of the bona fide superstars of the last few years Um, that's another contributing move to, to kind of how inept they've been for Mo Williams no less (laughs) <laughs> Let's exactly. not forget about that. They the reason they traded that pick was to get Baron Davis's contract off their books for Mo Williams. Terrible trade. Right. <laughs> Terrible trade when you figure that the Cavs then got the amnesty provision when the lockout ended, so they just waived Baron Davis anyway. So the Clippers didn't even really need to make the move. Now, now I don't know if the Cavs knew that that provision was coming. I don't think anyone did. They just kind of got well, lucky they didn't care. in that sense. 
But still, you're trading an unprotected. That's the thing. How many times do you ever see a team trade a completely unprotected first-round pick in the NBA? And you just gave the Cavs a completely unprotected first-round pick for Mo Williams? That's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that's gonna, probably one of the last unrestricted first-round picks we'll, we'll see traded away for a, a team that was projected to finish in the top 10 in terms of draft uh, the, selection. Um, I know that the, the Nets are kind of experiencing that as well right now, but <laughs> uh, and they were they were definitely a nominee for, for one of the worst franchises in basketball. Um, but yeah, the, I think that that Clippers trade for uh, of the pick that was used to land Kyrie Irving is now kind of the boogeyman of, of, of NBA draft day trades. Though if uh, LeBron James never came to Cleveland, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers had some let's just say lean years under an owner named Ted Stippian. And uh, they'd probably be right up here with the Clippers fighting for this nomination. So luckily LeBron has delivered the goods and has definitely pushed them away from the bottom. But, man, you look at this Clippers team in a league where so many teams make the playoffs to only make the playoffs nine times in your history is awful. Yeah, and, you know, currently they're they're experiencing their their best years, but they have consistently been – the third or fourth best team in their conference and have yet to be the number one dominant team. And it looks to be that way this year as well. I mean, when, when we look back on this era of basketball, we aren't going to consider the LA Clippers a part of it. You know, we're going to think about the Warriors, we're going to think about the Cavs, the Spurs, uh, the Thunder a little bit, you know, no mention of the Clippers really, uh, unless you're talking about basketball futility. That is unless they, you know, in the next couple of years, you know, win a, a conference championship and get to the finals. But uh, history is unkind to the loser. Uh, just ask, you know, that, that 90s Cavs team you know, that we're so familiar with. Nobody really talks about them. That There are, there are other teams that had more success because the, that Cavs team never really fulfilled uh, their promise. Oh, and just a fun fact, the L.A. Clippers used to be the San Diego Clippers uh, prior to 1985. So sorry, San Diego, we're piling up on you a little bit here. And prior to that, they were the Buffalo Braves, made the playoffs three times, but still never got beyond the conference semifinals. So Clippers franchise, uh, it's, it's up there, man. I mean, the Browns actually have a bit of a run for their money, I would say. Uh, you know, digging deep here into LA because if we're going to switch gears here, if we're talking all time, the Browns are a team of three different eras, in my opinion. There's the pre Super Bowl era where they were the dynasty of the NFL. In the post Super Bowl era, they weren't bad. 14 playoff appearances, three trips to the AFC Championship game, ruined by John Elway each time, and then they left for Baltimore. I think most people remember this zombie incarnation of the Browns that's only been to the playoffs once and have only had two winning seasons since coming back in 1999. And for the first time ever in Cleveland's history, that lost Thursday night put them at 500 all-time. They had never been 500 or lower all-time record until losing Thursday night. So, so that tells you that the Browns do have some strong historic roots that, that Bob honestly if we're going all time might save them from being branded as the worst of the worst yeah but they're trying really hard right now Chris to to get that label I mean 0 and 10 right now 
closing in on a 0-16 season. I think you and I both think there's no end in sight for for this season of futility. And Chris, the last 17 years, it's one thing to be a bad team, to be a losing team. There are tons of those in every single sport. Uh, there's another team to just be uh, a complete joke. And, and that's what the Browns really have been. Uh, they lose games in the most ridiculous ways, uh, all the way back to, you know, Bottlegate, uh, the throwing of, of plastic bottles onto the field. That's how they ended the game. Or Dwayne Rudd throwing the helmet down. Uh, more recently, uh, missing, what, four field goals in a game or getting your extra point blocked last year for it to be returned uh, for the for a walk-off special teams win uh, against the Ravens. I mean, we can, we can go on and on about the, the crazy, insane, just you can't write this story terrible things that have happened to the Browns uh, in the past 16, 17 years. And for that reason, I think they are clearly the, the the worst franchise and it's erasing all that great history that you mentioned from the 50s and 60s. I think if the Browns were just mediocre, we would be having a Detroit versus Cleveland debate because those are, uh, other than expansion teams, Houston and Jacksonville, the only two teams not to have reached a Super Bowl yet. Um, but the, the Lions at least sometimes make the playoffs and have uh, decent seasons every once in a while. It's 17 years and counting and no end in sight. And it's really just erasing everything that, that uh, has been built uh, in, in the history that you mentioned. And I'm sure we're going to get into more terrible things that, that we're going to bring up. But uh, I really think this is the, the worst franchise in sports, man. So here's the question I want to pose because – this is interesting. Do you view the 99 Browns as the same team that left? So, so in instance, when the Browns left in 95, did that history end in 95? Or do you consider this expansion franchise a brand new team? And it, even though they have the records of the pre-99 Browns, has that been fractured in your mind? So when when I consider the history of the Browns, uh, no, I, I don't consider them differently. But w- when I think about that expansion era, the 1999 and starting off in the 21st century, I do think of it as a different team because they were starting from scratch, from, from an expansion draft, the, the number one pick in 99. Um, and, and so you have to consider that uh, their struggles early on in that light. It's just they've never they've never recovered from that, uh, which uh, kind of makes it an interesting way of viewing it. But when I when I zoom out and I look at the the entire Cleveland Browns history, because this is something that the people of Cleveland fought for, I, I don't view them as two separate teams. Another stat bomb for you: the the Browns have clinched their fourteenth double digit loss season since returning in the last seventeen years, and they're I believe it's. Ninth straight losing season, eight of those double-digit losses. So that that's how bad it's been of late. So I guess here's my 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 thoughts on the Browns. If we're going historically all time, I cannot say that they are worse than the Clippers because they've been to three AFC Championship games. They've qualified for the playoffs more consistently in a tougher league to qualify for the playoffs 
than the Clippers. They, they had 14 playoff appearances in the NFL compared to the Clippers. Now, this is Super Bowl era. You go prior to the Super Bowl era, they won four NFL championships, went to four more, or went to four more, and before that, in the AAFC, won all four of those championships in that league's existence. They have the greatest coach of all time. They have the greatest player of all time, Jim Brown and Paul Brown. I don't see how this franchise is worse historically than the Clippers. But if you're going to fracture off that history and count and just say that 99 was fresh, then it's not even close. The 99 Browns are the worst team ever. This expansion era Browns is the worst team in all of sports, not even close. But if they get the benefit of all that history, then there's no way that this franchise is worse than the Clippers. I'm sorry. Chris, I, I, I just think that from 1999 to now, it has been so bad, so comically bad that it really is just erasing the the prestige uh, of those old-time Browns teams and, and the history that comes with it, and even the history of those 80s teams. Uh, and if you include, you know, you know, Bill Belichick is still coaching for the Patriots, and let's not forget the Browns fired him as well. Uh, you know, add that notch in there. Uh, let's talk about some of the just ridiculous things that have happened in, in, in the last 17 years. You know, Bob, drafting just a correction, a like, though, they didn't really fire Bill Belichick. He left with the franchise and wasn't retained by Baltimore. True. Okay. It wasn't technically their fault. Yeah, I I guess you're right. But they they had uh, what is considered the best head coach of the last 20 years under contract and you know he was he went to a different team i don't know it's it's such a cleveland thing for it he was a coach for the browns and it wasn't as good as he was with the patriots and now he's you know going down as one of the best coaches uh, in the history of the football it's it's that's such a browns thing to happen regardless of how it exactly happened i get it i'm not making excuses for them but but I don't think you can hold that one against them too much since the franchise was ripped from them. It's not like they traded him or got rid of him. They left. You know, I, It's not really something anyone in the personnel office did. You get what I'm saying? I, I, I guess here's my, here's my problem, though. If we're going all time, I, I just don't see how... I just don't see how the Browns are worse than the Clippers all time. But if we're going since 1999, TKO game set match, the Browns are the worst. And and I guess it just gets back to that question because I agree with you. The recent history of the Browns, the fact that they are viewed as, as an expansion team, I don't feel people in our generation associate the pre-99 Browns with this team. I think that there is a fracture and that, and that people view them as two separate teams. Uh, uh, people of our age now now old school fans maybe a generation ahead of us or two they don't they remember those old teams we don't Bob my first sports memories are around 94 95 I don't remember the Browns before 99 so so I think I agree with you in the sense that this expansion era is erasing that history and I think if you view the expansion era as its own team definitely but if you're going to throw in all that history I mean, they blow the Clippers out of the water, Bob. They they have 
they have multiple NFL championships. They have multiple championship appearances. They have infinitely more playoff appearances than the Clippers in a much tougher league to qualify for the playoffs. So if you're going to count the history, you can't. I can't say that they're worse than the Clippers. Um, but if you're not, and you're just looking at this expansion era team and you view it as its own team, then it's definitely the worst team in all the sports because they are just the definition of 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 terrible. Yeah, I, I think I I I, I just, they 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 are the worst for me. And I like I said in the beginning, there's a difference between losing and and being being a, a complete joke, and that's what the Browns have been for for almost twenty years now. And I understand I understand the history, and I understand I completely understand your argument. Uh, the Clippers don't have that prestige that the Browns had in the '60s, uh, but they they're just so bad right now. And I I, I think that especially when you, you talk about the Browns uh, from a national standpoint or, or from a historical standpoint, you know, you, we you mentioned the move, you mentioned the expansion expansion team, but you're talking about the entire history of the Browns from from now all the way all the way to the back of the, to their founding. I don't think people differentiate them. If, if you're not from Cleveland, you, um, they definitely don't differentiate them. And so I, I just, I think the, the Browns are, are just a joke. They, they have been for so long. I can't, for me, they're the worst man. There's so many, so many things we could talk about that have happened that I, I just don't think uh, the Clippers have those, those stories to, to, to even compare. Bob, I just think we killed all listenership for our Football Fridays podcast from here on in. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> um, I'm still not over the Cubs World Series, but someone said that the Cubs winning the World Series is the last great American sports story to write. I disagree. If the Browns and the Lions, especially if the Browns complete this 0-16 season, meet in the Super Bowl, both of them for the first trip to the Super Bowl, that would be the most epic final ever because the Browns and the Lions are the NFL's version of the Red Sox and the Cubs as far as just always being failures. And so if both of them would have gone goose-egged, both of them had great historic runs in the 50s and 60s, if they were to both get to the first Super Bowl in the same year – uh, it would quite frankly be, I think, an amazing sports story. Yeah, well, I mean, the Browns making the playoffs would be an amazing sports story because they, I mean, the expectations are so low at this point. I mean, it's it's 13 years since they made the playoffs. It, it's it's ridiculous. Teams have been there, come, gone, been rebuilt up, and have been torn down again in the time that the Browns are still tripping over themselves just to, to get to 500. That is definitely true, so... All righty, Bob. Well, we've put the stamp on the Browns, and sadly, sadly so. Well, well, you have. I, I kind of have. You definitely have. So. Yeah, I, I, my mind was made up before I even looked at the data. I, they, for me, they, I, I just can't. I can't. I can't pick anyone else other than them. They, they're just uh, the factory of sadness, and they, they uh, are continuing that trend. Uh, this year as well but uh we will move on and talk about some current events some probably uh, some, some pretty exciting crazy news coming out of the college football landscape 
Uh, we went into this week with four undefeated teams ranked in that top four, all uh, projected to make the college football playoff. We leave Saturday with only one undefeated team uh, in, of the group of four standing in Alabama. That's right. Washington lost. Uh, Michigan lost to Iowa and Clemson lost to Pittsburgh. All three of those teams suffering losses uh, in the top 10. Auburn lost. Texas A&M lost. Uh, Chris, this was uh, this was Black Saturday for some teams and, and a crazy shakeup weekend uh, for all of college football. All in the meantime, though, Ohio State uh, coasting to to a, to a big win against Maryland. Yeah, I mean, talk about just completely shaking everything up. Last weekend did exactly that. The only thing I know for sure is that Alabama pretty much is guaranteed a playoff spot even if they lose to Auburn they're in the SEC title game I mean I guess if they lose this weekend to standard FCS second to last week in the SEC so let's play a cupcake week (laughs) then yeah they'd be bounced from the postseason but aside from that it would be tough for me to keep them out of my playoff bracket if they were to just go one and one against the realistic opponents on their schedule I, I'm just assuming they're going to win this week I, I'm if they were to lose well that changes everything but yeah. everything else man is up for grabs and I'm going to be interested to see these committee rankings on Tuesday yeah who, who knows what they will do I mean they, they have been known to stir the pot particularly with that that fourth spot um but Chris I mean Michigan losing uh definitely makes uh the Big Ten the conference to watch uh heading into this playoff chase and we can de- definitely talk about uh you know the, the other conferences as well because it, it definitely got a little bit more interesting for them as well but with Michigan losing I mean the Big Ten East with with Michigan Ohio State and Penn State really all all Penn State has to do is beat Rutgers and um, Michigan State and and they are Big East Big Ten East champions uh, and then you have Wisconsin also in the top ten that uh, will probably be representing the Big Ten West. I mean, Chris, the the Big Ten in, in just one week got got a lot interesting, wouldn't you say? It did. Uh, one thing though, Ohio State does have to beat Michigan for Penn State to get in there though. Um, so Penn Very State's true. not complete control of their own destiny, but they would shut out the Buckeyes if the Buckeyes went out. The Buckeyes do need Penn State to lose now that Michigan has lost. So, yeah, things got interesting, but but you look at the AP and coaches poll and Louisville's number three. I'm going to be interesting to see if the committee keeps Louisville ahead of Clemson because, remember, Clemson beat Louisville head-to-head. They both have one loss, and Clemson still controls its own destiny. I think Clemson's in over Louisville personally. Washington's going to be an interesting case because I could see, you know, clearly Wisconsin's the best two-loss team based on the rankings. They've only lost to two top four teams, and, um, you know, Oklahoma lost to Ohio State. Um, So Washington wasn't even in the postseason when they were undefeated in the first rankings. So I don't know if Washington will be there. That's going to be an interesting kind of battle for fourth. But zooming in on this Big Ten scenario, because the committee, if this plays out, Ohio State 11-1, and Penn State 10-2 uh, and two in the Big Ten title game, this is going to be the first real challenge the committee has is, you know, how, how much is a conference championship worth? We, we haven't gotten a chance to see this. The rules clearly state that the committee had the flexibility to place a team in that didn't win a conference title if it's unequivocally one of the four best teams in the country. 
based on that criteria, I know Penn State will have been in the Big Ten title game, but that's only using a nine-game um, set to qualify for that game. You zoom out big picture, Penn State, even at 11-2, and two, is weaker than Ohio State schedule-wise. They lost to Pitt. They lost to Michigan, and their only signature win is a win over Ohio State, where Ohio State, if things go to plan, will have beaten an undefeated Big 12 champion in Oklahoma, Wisconsin, who's sixth on the road, Michigan, who's currently fourth, Nebraska, who's 17th. That is four blue chip wins. Completely blows Penn State out of the water. I think even if Ohio State is only 11-1 and one and should shut out of its conference title game, they will be in the college football playoff. Yeah, uh, that that um, is probably the, the going to be the main debate if everything holds true. Because as you said, I think the ACC, uh, between Clemson and Louisville, most likely Clemson, there's a spot there. There's a spot for Alabama. Um, and then with Washington uh, being – if everything holds true, they would be Pac-12 champions. I think they would probably get one of those spots. So then it's just, what do you do with that fourth spot? Um, yeah, that that a, a very interesting debate. What what if Wisconsin wins the Big Ten championship? Well, I don't see how you can put a two-loss Wisconsin team that lost to Ohio State at home in over Ohio State, even if they win the Big Ten. I don't know, man. Uh, I, it's hard for me to to predict to make some predictions because. Uh, given what we saw on Saturday, I don't think everything's going to hold true. I, I think we're, there are going to be some more surprises uh, along the way. I I don't know, but it, Ohio State is definitely making a compelling argument for that number four spot. Um, also, yeah, think just, about it's going to be a crazy that, finish. Um, among anyone's non-conference schedule, if Oklahoma is ten and two, Ohio State will have beaten an undefeated Big 12 champion. I defy anyone to bring a bigger non-conference win to the table on the road, and they didn't just beat them, they smoked them. That is huge, and I think that that's a huge chip to have in Ohio State's, um, you know, on the table, and so I'm sorry, man. I I can't put Wisconsin in over the Buckeyes. They have two losses, and Ohio State beat them, and I know you're you're saying head-to-head here, but but Penn State still has two losses. They're not on the same level yet. You know, that would be like saying, oh, the New England Patriots went 13-3, and the Buffalo Bills went 12-2, and the Bills should win the East because they beat the Patriots twice. It doesn't work that way. It's a tiebreaker. Ohio State and Penn State, while they're tied in the Big Ten standings, are not tied overall. You can't just discount the fact that Penn State lost to an inferior opponent in Pitt. Yeah, the Pitt now knocking off Clemson as well. Kind of interesting, uh, the season that they're having. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think Penn State, you know, yes, they, they beat uh, Ohio State. I, I think if they get in that Big Ten title game, I, I don't see them as the favorite against against Wisconsin. So I, I don't know. It, I think a, a lot of things are, are let to play, um, but it, it's definitely – things have been shooken up in what looked like uh, – you know, just a week ago, I think there was no debate as to who was deserving of those four spots. And now uh, there there are some pretty crazy scenarios out there. Um, so it'll definitely be interesting. You know, West Virginia and Oklahoma still have right. to play. If West Virginia beats Oklahoma, West Virginia is big, big 12 champion. Um, just a lot of interesting things that yet to happen. Uh, Washington, you know, has a big showdown with Washington State late in the year at Washington State. Um 
Yeah, just a, a lot of factors yet to play. And Western Michigan is undefeated at 10 and 0. Yeah. Who would have thought? <laughs> I, don't think, I think Western Michigan <laughs> needs a repeat of last weekend the next two weekends to get in. That's that's just the reality of the situation for the Broncos. Yeah, they need a they, they need a lot of work to to move forward. Interestingly enough, though, Washington State, I mean, <laughs> losses to Eastern uh Washington and Boise State to open the year. So that that could be your Big 12 champion at, at the end of the year. I I don't know. Crazy things are are happening in college football and uh what makes it great, I guess. You know what teams are kicking themselves is Boise State and Houston because if either of them were undefeated right now, this would be the year to crash the party. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but they did Especially with uh, Houston's win over Oklahoma. Exactly, yeah. I think I think Houston would, would for sure be in, in that top four right now, uh, yeah. potentially number two at, at that point. I mean, with that Oklahoma win. Um, and a huge showdown with Louisville. Louisville would have a case to play their way in as that fourth team if they could beat a number two Houston. Yeah, exactly. No, that's not really the case anymore. So, Yeah, say la vie. It would have been real fun if we had a few outsiders up there. But, you know, honestly, Bob, I mean, the committee, if they get this situation, it will be a good thing for the long term because they'll finally get a chance to – expand upon their criteria they haven't had that chance yet the last two years while somewhat controversial in 2014 that's only because there were six conference champions because the big 12 didn't declare one of them the outright winner and they haven't had a chance to differentiate a non-power five team or a or, or, or just a fluky situation where a really good team doesn't make its conference title game um they might have that shot this year and, and we'll kind of get to see uh, what the template is for. So it'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, exactly. And, and like I said, I don't think uh, I don't think we're going to have four uh, one-loss conference champions and Ohio State as well in, in the mix. Uh, I think we're, more teams are going to lose and crazier things are going to happen, at least for a couple teams. So I, I think it's really going to shape itself. Um, but it's a, it's a very interesting debate as... as uh, we don't really know what's going on. All righty, Bob. So. Well, well, the baseball season might be over, but the awards season for baseball has just begun. The finalists for all the awards are out. A couple of Indians up for some awards, Bob. What do you think the chances are uh, for Corey Kluber to bring home that Cy Young and for Tyler Naquin to bring home that Rookie of the Year award? Well, you mentioned the the two of the three awards that I, I think Indians will not win uh, in, in this award cycle. Uh, starting with, with Corey Kluber uh, in the AL Cy Young, um, the American League really, in, in just about compared to the National League, I think is very very murky and and not uh, crystal clear uh, like like the National League is. But in the AL Cy Young, I, I think it's hard to uh, to argue against Justin Verlander, and I think it's hard to uh, not account for the Boston bump that Rick Purcell is going to get with his 22 wins. Um, you know, it's really hard to, to separate Corey Kluber from the postseason and the regular season, but this voting occurred at the end of the regular season. I think if, you know, people voted halfway through the playoffs, Corey Kluber for sure would be the AL Cy Young, but given his regular season stats, I, I think uh, Justin Verlander is going to take it home. Yeah, Bob, you know, this pains me to say it because, because I'm not the biggest Justin Verlander fan in the world but 
I will riot if Rick Porcello wins this Cy Young over Kluber or Verlander. I do not think he should win the award. I'm dead set against that. I would rather see Justin Verlander win it. I think Kluber should win it, but I agree with you. I, I think pre-playoffs Kluber was good enough to get there, maybe not good enough to win. Verlander's numbers are pretty ridiculous. So I think Verlander will win it by a hair. I can only hope that maybe Kluber's numbers being a little bit better than Porcello, except for in the win column, plus getting to the playoffs where Verlander didn't will kind of edge out everyone. I'm hopeful Kluber wins it because I think he should, but I would be happier with Verlander winning it than Porcello because I think that Kluber and Verlander are more deserving than Rick Porcello. I, I don't think he should win the award. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think Porcello's uh, between the three uh, – highly overrated and beneficial of uh, one of the more talented teams in, in the MLB. Um, so uh, m- moving on to AL rookie, I mean, uh, Tyler Naquin, it looked like it, it was his to to win or his to lose, excuse me, uh, uh, at the end of the summer. But I, I really just think it's going to go to Michael Fulmer, who's just had a, a complete season as a as a starting pitcher for, for the Detroit Tigers. Um, just a, a solid season, a solid rookie season. Naquin uh, kind of fell off uh, at, at the end of the summer. And then this uh, Sanchez guy from the Yankees, I mean, just 53 games. I understand the home runs and, and the quality pl- play behind the plate. But when going up against a, a more rounded season with Naquin and, uh, you know, basically a full season, Fulmer, uh, 26 starts uh, this season for him, uh, I, I don't think you, he is really deserving of consideration. But he's a Yankee, so he's going to get votes. But I think Michael Fulmer, without a doubt, is going to be the the AL Rookie of the Year. I think this is one of the toughest ones to differentiate because it's hard to compare a rookie pitcher and a rookie hitter as far as value. I think Fulmer and Naquin are both excellent choices. Like with Rick Porcello, Gary Sanchez shouldn't even be... No, okay, never mind. Porcello should be up for the Cy Young. (laughs) He had the numbers. Gary Sanchez shouldn't even be up for this award. He only played 56 games. The other two played a full season. If this guy wins it, I'm going to be even more mad than if... Porcello wins the Cy Young because at least Porcello played a whole season and has good numbers. This guy Sanchez only played two months. He should not be up for it. If he wins, I'm going to be mad. So yes, again, I would be more happy if a Tigers player wins it than the than if the Yankees player wins it. But I'm hopeful Naquin can do it because he did win Rookie of the Month multiple times. So I think he has that in his uh, favor. He has the epic moment, the walk off inside the park home run. I think that's big as well. So I'm hopeful Naquin can win it because I, I, I'm more confident that Naquin would win this award than I am in Kluber because I do think Verlander is probably going to win that one. But again, I wouldn't be mad if Fulmer won it because it's just one of those things where pitcher versus hitter, hard to compare. Sanchez shouldn't even be nominated. Get him out of there. Yeah, I agree, though uh, I, I don't know who you'd replace him with in, in terms of top three nominations, but... I think he it should be a, a clear number three in terms of AL Rookie of the Year voting. Um, let's go to the, la- the final Indian-nominated uh, AL Manager of the Year. Terry Francona is up for it. I think without a doubt he should and is going to win it, though uh, I think Jeff Bannister does make a compelling argument for guiding those Rangers to the best record in, in the American League. But uh, I, I think Francona uh, is deserving it and, and will win it. Yeah, Bannister definitely has a compelling argument, best record in the American League, like you said. Uh, but Francona, uh, I mean, look at all the injuries he had to deal with, all the adversity, and just was brilliant all year long. 
Um, this is the one I'm most confident in. I think he will end up winning the uh, manager of the year. Yeah. Again, though, uh, the adversity that the Indians faced with losing Salazar and, and Carrasco, that happened late in the season. So uh, they they he was managing a, a more fully staffed team. I understand the Brantley and the Gomes injury, and, and those guys have been uh, did stints on the DL. But you know the the hyper adversity that we talked about in the playoffs that happened in the playoffs more so than the regular season so uh, that's probably the argument for why jeff bannister will win if he does win um but hopefully not i i agree but i also think that brantley being viewed as as their best bat and not having him the whole year definitely is something that he can hang in his uh you know, a feather in his cap. And let's not forget that the rotation was out of whack all year. Carrasco was injured early in the year. Uh, you know, there were other injuries, not just the uh, death stroke injuries that knocked him out for the playoffs. Uh, there were other factors that uh, they had to deal with. So so I do think that, that sure. he's going to get a lot of credit for that. Definitely. All right, one last in the AL. AL MVP, again, a very murky situation. Uh, who do you got in that? I have no clue. Um, I'm kind of hopeful. I like Jose Altuve as a player. I hope he wins. I, I don't know if he will. Honestly, I, you could roll a die for this one. I have no idea who's going to win between Trout, Mike Trout of the Angels, and Mookie Betts of the Red Sox. Um, is, this one's going to be, I think, a very close vote. Yeah, for sure. Uh, again, it's insert other American League player versus Mike Trout. Uh, I think Mike Trout is destined for his fourth, second MVP finish in five years uh, that other year he won it um, kind of amazing and a testament to just how dang good that guy is but Mookie Betts essentially put up Mike Trout numbers uh, very comparable numbers to Mike Trout this year say for the walk to strikeout ratio um, a little bit less in, in Mookie Betts favor but again I just think with a playoff team one of the better teams in the AL uh, the best player on that team and uh, there's no trout fatigue associated with Mookie Betts I think he's gonna win this one yeah I mean like I said uh, you could really roll a die for this one because it, it's it's tough I, I could see any of them winning it um it's, it, I think this is the most competitive of all the categories and like you said earlier the National League is really cut and dry Cubs have a chance to take home three of them I think they'll take home manager of the year for Madden and MVP with Chris Bryant. I don't think they will win the Cy Young. They got two guys up in Kyle Hendricks and John Lester, but I think Max Scherzer takes home the Cy Young. Yeah, I I agree with all those. I think uh, the the without a doubt award of the season. Well, there are two, and they're both on the NL. Um, the first one is is NL MVP. That's going to Chris Bryant. Um, kudos to Daniel Murphy and Corey Seager. Um, and then to be nominated as NL MVP candidate and then to not win NL Rookie of the Year, I think would be the biggest head-scratcher ever. So Corey Seager has to be a lock for NL Rookie of the Year. I I don't know why they nominated other people. That's like winning Best Picture at the Oscar as an animated film and then not winning Best Animated Picture. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, the fact that he's even nominated for NL MVP they should have just announced NL rookie of the year right there because I I just can't see how you finish as a finalist for MVP and not win rookie of the year so you're right that's a slam dunk uh do you think there's much drama in manager of the year I I don't the Joe Madden and the Cubs 100 plus wins I think that's yeah yeah, I mean the the other two nominees are are guys uh, managers taking over for the, those big teams uh, on the coast and, and the Nationals and the Dodgers. Um, I, I think they both did fine jobs, but they didn't 
do anything really differently than their successors uh, in, in terms of the you know furthering success or anything. I think it's going to go to Joe Madden and you know best team in, in the MLB, uh, the Cubs uh, doing it with all those young guys. I, I think it's his to lose for sure. And I agree with you. I think it's going to Max Scherzer for NL Cy Young. I mean, 103 wins. I, I just can't. You can't not give the guy the award. I just that's my thing. When you win so many games like that, it's just you got to award him for that to me. Right. Exactly. Cool. Well, hopefully uh we get some some the tribe will take home some trophies. Uh you know, could be the second time uh in two straight years the Indians have the runner up to AL rookie of the year, which uh you know, is a good thing. You have the a, a very young promising player, so uh, hopefully good things for the tribe, but it'll be interesting to see how those awards pan out. Um, just a quick check on the Cavs. Uh, they're shooting threes like crazy. They're on pace to set records for three-point percentage and, and three-pointers made. Uh, they're rolling with only one loss. Uh, any thoughts on them so far? Really, the only drama going on is with Mo Williams, man. They're saying he's not welcome in the arena. They're looking to trade him because of this whole retirement thing. Uh, that's yeah, about I mean, it. Other than that... Cavs are good. Yeah, yeah. I, it doesn't really matter <laughs> with Mo Williams. I mean, he he contributed a little bit at the start of last year, but it's not like they're gonna uh, need him a whole lot this year. And he did kind of, you know, he he did them a little dirty by saying he's retiring and then not retiring. I mean, he he is costing them a, a huge chunk of that salary uh, luxury tax, and I'm sure they're not happy with that. Man, just think they just buried the hatchet him and LeBron and. Now it's this is happening, man. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> All righty, man. Well, we packed a lot into this podcast, a huge debate about uh, the Cleveland Browns, crazy college football, and some awards, man. It's not even award show season. We're giving out awards. So fun times on Clee Talk again, but sadly they have to end. We will be back next week with another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. You can come back on Friday, though. We will be previewing the Browns-Steelers matchup on our Football Fridays bonus Clee Talk podcast. Bet you can imagine how we're going to go with that one, but we'll keep you in suspense <laughs> for a few days just in case you didn't get the gist of the uh, tone of this podcast. Um, but, no, you can come back to FenleyRoadSports.com Click the iTunes button in the corner and subscribe to our podcast. We do appreciate your support. You can follow us on Twitter or uh, Instagram. Just search Fenley Road Sports. You can search for us on iTunes too, Fenley Road Sports. Click Clee Talk and subscribe there. We thank you for your support. We'll be back next Monday with more Cleveland Sports Talk. And until then, go Browns. Hopefully you can get that first win. Uh, Chris, go Cavs. I mean, come on. <laughs> go ca- Yeah, that's a better one, Bob. Redo All it. Right, go Cavs. Yeah, I'll see you, man. <laughs> Take it easy.